Welcome back to the Masters of Modern podcast. This is Ben Bateman. You're about to hear our newest episode, A History of Control Decks in Modern, with Mr. Ruben Bressler as the special guest. Unfortunately for you, me, and everybody else involved this week, our main audio recording was lost. The file was corrupted, and we don't have those files anymore. However, professionals that we are, we have a backup recording going at all times. That is off of a cell phone, just an iPhone on the table, which is the audio that we use for the live stream. I've taken that audio, I've cut out any distortions that I was able to, and I have used it as the podcast this week. So you're going to be hearing that this week rather than our normal recorded show. Sounds a little bit different, but really not by too much, and I'd rather post this than skip the episode entirely. So bear with us, guys, and enjoy the show. It was a fantastic episode. We'll be back next week with our Guilds of Ravnica preview card. All right, guys, see you guys in just a second. Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult. But prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. Alex Kessler is out today. Uh, congratulations to him and his wonderful wife, uh, newly married. Uh, he's not here today. I am here today, your host, Ben Bateman. And I have Mr. Ruben Bressler in the room today with me. Hi, everybody. I am Ruben Bressler, M-O-X-R-E-U-B-Y on the tweets and the and the Facebooks and all that good place. You guys may know Ruben because he is the host of the Magic Mike's podcast, which is an awesome podcast. It's, it's well-known, uh, co-hosted by Evan Irwin of The Magic Show. Yep. Um, and so we are lucky enough to have you here with us today. I know we had talked for a while about getting you involved, and uh, this was the first opportunity we had. And what a, what a fun subject. We're going to be talking about the history of control decks in modern today uh, and the reason we're doing it is because blue white control currently is really popping up as kind of a house yes um, and there was a long time theory that control in modern was not something that could work like sure. it was a, because modern was such a wide format with such aggressive decks that true control decks in modern were going to be too difficult to make work yeah and it, you know over time people kind of experimented more and more and more and then now finally it does feel like we have a control game in modern in yeah. a major way there's a couple things that you need to have in place in order for a control deck to really function. One is a stable metagame. Um, a, 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 a list of three or four decks that are mid-range and, and combo and aggro that you can aim for so that you know how to build your control elements, so that you know which one-ofs you want to go get, what you want to have as your central piece and your central win condition. The other thing that you really need uh, uh, as a control deck are the requisite finishers. And there really wasn't a great combination of finishers plus control elements out there uh, in addition to a sort of an unstable metagame with all of the bannings and the unbannings and things like that. And so it's finally gotten to the point where, you know, the ground has stopped shaking long enough and we have enough of these. The other thing is that new control decks really heavily depend on planeswalkers as their finishers as opposed to before control had or anyone had access to planeswalkers. Really. Right. So I think it's, a, it's an interesting time to talk about control in modern. I'm, I'm definitely excited to do it. Uh, I, I am sad for Alex that he's not here for this. Alex loves blue-white control. He's played it in multiple, uh, multiple major tournaments. And uh, I, I think it's an interesting one not to have Alex here, especially because blue-white control is such a favorite of his. But that is what we're going to be talking about today, guys. So stay with us. Um, quickly, a couple shout-outs to get us started. You can find the podcast, a whole conversation about it on Facebook. There's a Facebook group, the official Masters of Modern Facebook group, as well as a Facebook page. Uh, and also the most important one for us right now is this is the Masters of Modern YouTube, the MMCast. We're going to be expanding into multiple shows. I'm going to be streaming my stupid brews starting this weekend. Um, there's a bunch of fun stuff happening. So please, if you're listening to this, watching this, subscribe on YouTube. It is the number one most important thing to keep us going with a ton of exciting developments in the future. Uh, and that, that means a lot to us. So... That's where we will get started. Um, let's get into the episode. Great. So, control in modern. 
Modern has been around since 2011. Um, in the early, early days, like the first few months, did you play Modern much in the very beginning? I did. Uh, basically, whenever there's a new format, I want to give it a shot and try it out to see if it's something I'm interested in. Right when Popper started taking off, when Brawl was announced, you know, even, even as Commander became an official product, um, much less formats like Extended and then Modern, um, I try to give it a shot immediately just to see if it's, you know, dip my toe in, see if it's something I'm interested in. Um, and I was, I was a big extended guy. And so when extended died, I was pretty sad. And then modern came along and it was perfect for me. Um, and my, my deck du jour in modern has always been, and probably will always be burn and burn has always been a, you know, solid deck. So I'm always pretty interested in, in the modern metagame. Yeah. I think burn, I mean, burn's probably one of the, I mean, burn is also a mainstay in every format, Yeah, but burn is also one of the earliest successful modern decks. Yes. Um, but, uh, but going back to the very beginning of modern and, and sort of talking about control. So I guess the first question to ask here and for you guys watching or listening um, what is a control deck? Like, what is that? And you started to kind of allude to it in the discussion of why it was difficult to have one in modern. Right. But my definition personally of a control deck would be it is a deck with a variable, versatile number of reactive cards um, equipped to handle between like one ofs and three ofs, mostly almost everything the format can offer. Yeah. Uh, and it's a deck that usually will win through card advantage and inevitability with a relatively underpowered singular threat. Um, now, they're not always underpowered, but they're usually not winning with some, like, 10-10 worm. They're usually winning with, like, a 3-1 flyer or, like, a land or something like that. Yeah. Um, Historically, the finishers have been things like, you know, uh, Rainbow Ifrit or Stalking Stones or, or, or Mishra's Factory or Morphling. Exactly. Yes. And more recently, obviously, Planeswalkers have sort of stepped into that slot. I think that the key word that you said in, in the definition is reactive. Yeah. Um, combo and aggro and to some extent also mid-range are proactive strategies they are trying to enact a game plan and follow through on that game plan control really traditionally is very stick and move uh reactive trying to counteract the things that are being played not necessarily just with counter magic but with removal spells and other control elements for me i've always looked at control as you're losing the game until such a point at which you win the, win game. the game right yeah, it's like a control deck has all these different answers, and, and because of the way the deck is constructed, sometimes those control decks will have to burn a Wrath of God to get rid of, like, a 2-1 Snapcaster Mage. Right. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like the point, the whole entire point of the control deck is answer everything, uh, crunch the numbers, like, you know, what's my 2-for-1 here? If it's a 1-for-1, but it gets me to the next 2-for-1, fine. And then, yeah, stabilize. Right. Uh, it, it always seems like when a control deck wins, it's because they've, if you're playing against it, and you're... Because they've somehow top-decked the thing that won for them. It always feels that way. But it's never that way. It's never that way. It's easy to top-deck the thing, the exact thing that they need when, first of all, they put it in the deck. And second of all, they draw so many more cards than you. And that's another big facet of control decks is typically, as you mentioned, big uh, uh, card advantage. Yep. Not just in the form of card draw, which is easy to grok, but also Wrath of God can be a two-for-one, right. three-for-one. Uh, certain removal spells, things like Arc Lightning, can be a two for one. So timely uh, reinforcements, cards like timely that. reinforcements is a great example of that too. So yeah, so that's I think what we can agree is a control deck. Now, if you go back to Modern's beginnings and we talk about kind of what formed the format, well, when when the format first came out, people experimented with a lot of things. I remember there was, I mean, the format looked very different because you didn't have. Fatal Push. You right. didn't have... There's a lot of cards that now exist that define the format. Yeah. Um, but people also hadn't really found the cards that were going to be so good, right? Like, one of the... 
uh, one of the most important cards that I think has sort of defined the control decks recently that's been around since the beginning of what we played was Logic Knot. I think sure. that's like a great example yeah, of a card. Yeah, that is. It's literally illegal since Modern was invented, but it only started becoming a prominent play in the last 18 months. I agree. Um, so, but if you go back to the beginnings, I think it's safe to say that Modern's first and best control deck was Twin. Now, in those days, people didn't think of Twin as a control deck. Right. People thought of Twin as a combo deck. But as the format developed, and we went years and years later, people started siding that combo out yeah. and playing it as a straight blue-red control deck in game twos. Um, which I think is fascinating, and the deck continued to be incredibly dominant. So, and this is also prior to Blue Moon, but I, I, would, I think that, to me, feels like the first. Would you agree? I certainly think that the blue-red control elements have long been the best strategy with, with the blue counter spells, things like Cryptic Command and, of course, Logic Knot, as you mentioned, and then supported by Lightning Bolt, uh, things like Anger of the Gods. Right. Um, the, the, the Splinter Twin-Deceiver-Exarch combo ended the game the turn that you played it, and then after sideboard, if you had a lot of ways to disrupt that two-card combo, because you don't really want to put an aura that costs four mana in no. your control deck in a lot of matchups, uh, but you sideboard into Keranos, God of Storms, or Keranos something great, along yeah. those lines, uh, and then you become a strict control deck. I absolutely agree that Twin, the most powerful deck that has been in modern, it's won two of the modern Pro Tours, and right. that's including like a four-year break of no modern Pro Tours. Well, so now you get into the part of the conversation where, um, if that's the first, because it defined the early stages of modern, then I think you start to have to, like... When they design a standard format, the control decks are very obvious. Yeah, They're very clear what they are, right? It's not, there's no question about is it or isn't not a control deck. Right. Whereas with formats like Legacy or Modern, it's so dependent on not necessarily um, the definition of the deck, but like, for instance, some people would say that Burn is a combo deck. Yes. Because Burn is, right? You're trying you're, to cast, instead of trying to cast 10 spells in the same turn, you're trying to cast 7 spells over the course of the game. Right. Or Hardened Scales Affinity, is that a combo deck? Right. Like, you know, people have their different definitions, the difference between a control deck and a tempo deck. Uh, I've seen Seth Manfield talk about in an article he wrote that he thinks Mardu Pyromancer is a control deck. Sure. You know, like there's so many different definitions. The way that the games play out are so different. I mean, I personally think that the deck Death and Taxes is a control deck. Right. It's mono white stone blade because it has the inevitability. You know, the only things that reach the end of the game are death and taxes. But I do think that when we look at the traditional definition of control, um, the reason that this blue white list, like the one that Nassif played at the Pro Tour, yeah. um, the reason that that feels like such a control deck is because it's playing a ton of one ofs, two ofs, and three yes. ofs. It's playing things like, like uh, he's playing Glimmer of Genius. Yep. Right? Just so, just so like, you're just you're just like that's a that's just a card draw spell. Card yeah, there, selection card draw. There definitely is a line to be drawn between what people think of as traditional control and a control deck. Because by by our definition, Lantern is kind of a control deck. Right, right? definitely. Jund at many points yep. when they were, you know, trying to make the game go as long as possible and had lingering souls right. splashed in their Jund deck. That's a control deck. Definitely. Um, the four color Jund, like back before the Death Ride banning. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, back when speed wasn't you know, in standard when you had, you know, Bloodbraid Elf and Lightning, that was an aggro deck, but you go Bloodbraid Elf into, you know, Maelstrom Pulse right. and Control Elements, that's a completely, you know, you replace Lightning with Colagon's Command, that's a Control deck. But for this conversation, I think we're talking about blue-based, yeah. counter-spells, one-ofs, um, corner-case answers, yeah. you know, the, the things that you would think about with things like Mystical Teachings or Gifts Ungiven as your, as your drawing engines, uh, I think is more in line with this discussion. Now you bring up Gifts Ungiven and this brings up, uh, that's one of the early control decks. Yes. I, I remember um, at 
believe the very first modern Grand Prix was GP Lincoln. Um, okay. And I think it was, was that that was the GP the Hoth GP. Yes, the yeah. one where Bronson Magnin won with Agrolone. Yep. Okay. That deck went away pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen a countryside crusher blade modern in some nope. time. S- seismic assaults yeah. <laughs> are pretty much re- resorting to uh, trade binders these yeah. days. So yeah. I did play at a at a GP this last year a deck that was playing Light from the Loam with like Flame Jab and Thermo Alchemist. It was super fun. It was a horrible deck. Sure. I, I play tested like sixteen games against Affinity and just crushed every time. And then yeah, that was. Horrible. And then you played against a two toughness creature and were it, like, oh, this is less good. It was bad news. It was bad news. I mean, of all the decks that I've ever come up on sh- on this show and talked about, it's the saddest. Take it to a tournament, actually sleeve it up. Um, though speaking of decks that I have built on this show before, guys, the uh, the uh, Greater Gargadon, uh, so. What was a catch release uh, clause of Gix deck that I had with Wow with Soul Artifact and Dark Steel Citadel and like Boom Bust? Uh, I'm gonna build it online and start playing it this weekend. I pulled it back up on my phone. It's one of the most fun decks I've ever taken to a GP. Claws of Gix with Soul Artifact is pretty nice. Well, I it was like a deck that. that played basically twelve zero man artifacts. So you were sure. playing you were playing four Spirit Guides and four Chalices. Sure. The deck played no one drops. Sure. And it's playing four in Souls, two main deck EEs, two Claws of Gix. The Gargadon is the other Sour Outlet. Right. And then the Dark Steel Citadels. So a lot of the time you would just go like turn one, Spirit Guide, Chalice. Chalice. Turn two, one. put it in Soul Artifact on your Chalice. Wow. And just attack for fun. That's adorable. And just end the game in a couple turns. But then like the, the land destruction element because of Claws of Eix, yeah. your catch release becomes Stone Range. Sure. So you steal their land, untap the land, and then sack it to itself. Right. Um, but I also brought this deck with the whole like restore balance. Yeah. Uh, and this was before they changed the, the ruling on the split cards. Sure. So yeah, yeah, the yeah. expertises and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, well, that was, that was a tangent. The yeah. So the very first one, I remember at that same GP that I'm pretty certain LSV was playing a gifts deck. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think that there was an, a time in the beginning of modern where people were playing gifts control as a real control deck. Like, yeah, that was a thing for a year. That they were running gifts on given as a value card as opposed to a combo card. This was before the unburial rights days. I think it may have had the unburial rights package in it. Uh, as well, but the the main uh, impetus for the deck was basically running gifts on given, just as you know, I'll go get these two combo like one control element card and one card that interacts with the graveyard in a positive way, yeah. um, and and go from there. Uh, and yeah, definitely gifts on given uh, was the powerhouse strategy, particularly the Esper ones. Uh, one of the cards that he would go get was Lingering Souls, obviously, of which course. was fine in your hand or in the graveyard. Um, and, and yeah, those, those sort of decks definitely, uh, uh, qualify for our definition of what a control deck really lives for. But this is like 2011, 2012. Yeah. And we're talking early in the format. A long time ago. So now, now the next phase that we're talking about, you started to get to, which was the Jund era. Right. And in that Jund era, the, there was a couple things going on because you had birthing pod decks had started to come on the scene at that point as real pillars of the format. Yeah. And Again, the Birthing Pod deck feels in some ways like a control deck in itself because while it had a combo finish, yeah. it also had access to so many different answers as one ofs. How could you not really feel like playing against that deck? They were controlling the game, right? Oh, for sure. They were definitely a board control deck, uh, much in the same way that Goblins was in Legacy. Uh, being able to you know, maintain control of a board position, have all these resilient threats, things like Kitchen Finks that you have to kill twice, uh, especially against Jund, which doesn't have access to Path to Exile or any Exile effects, really. Um, those those Birthing Pod decks, particularly once they stopped focusing on the combo so right. much, yep. uh, and just sort of became a value two drops, three drops kind 
kind of they deck. They would just go wide. They'd like, yeah. they like, they take out the combo and they just go and like. And they would just play Gavany Township and that would be their win condition. Pod yeah. their Finks, get an Angel, blink your Finks. You're like, how am I going to, just that one interaction yep. feels in some ways like, how am I going to beat that? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And so then they would just be like, well, we can't combo, might as well just beat you down, which was. Township was Good enough. The, yeah, Township was the classic. Uh, you would lose to Township so much of the time yep. to two, three birds of paradise killing you. But then when that became so much of the metagame, when that became clearly enemy number one, obviously the control decks evolved and changed. And this was also during an era when the control decks weren't as good. That was a very difficult deck for the control decks to deal with. It had a lot of very different types of threats. Yep. Um, but... Uh, in addition to the rest of the format not being very similar to that type of deck. But you had a lot more uh, Wraths during that time. You had a lot more dependence on um, the Exile effects in white. So the white control, the, the blue-white X decks yep. took over from the uh, blue-black X decks during that time. Um, quickly before we continue, I just want to check with our producer here, Michael. Is our audio sounding pretty good on both mics? I know I have a slightly better position here than Ruben does. I just want to make sure that we are I don't know if he can good. hear you. Mike. Oh, he can't hear us. No. This is just on the show. Uh, well, any, Should I throw know? something at him? I no. Have I have a drop dot. Should I throw this at him? <laughs> no, that's okay. okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> let's, just, let's just try to make sure that we're speaking. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm getting nervous. Sure. Um, uh, there he is. Let's see. Can we, can we uh, that sounds okay. We're peaking a little bit sometimes. Okay. On here, though? This, this is um, on, you're talking on the live stream. Yeah, on the live stream. Can yeah. you double check our audio on the... I've been checking it periodically. Okay, okay. having more problems. Though. Okay, great, perfect. The, um, the controls for the live streamer is fine. It's wonky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we'll, we'll we'll make sure that going forward we, we do the lobs with that. But anyway, so back to the back to the subject. So this is that time period where people were starting to figure out what was strong. And I think right. historically, you look at modern, the two best decks ever have been Splinter Twin and Birthing Pod. Sure. Um, there are a few others that are really significant, but yeah. like those were the mainstays. Now, anytime that a deck is versatile and can go long and has a combo finish, how do you not feel like in some ways it is a control deck? Right. Right? But like, then you start to think about at that same time period, um, there were other elements of control that had started to emerge. So people were already messing around with blue-white shells. Like they yeah. moved away from gifts, people were just playing straight blue-white control. Jeskai would go in and out of being a deck, um, but it was thought of much more as a burn deck. Like This was also the era before Charles Gindy burst onto the scene with the red-green combo-ish kind of Tron deck. And this was back when blue, mono-blue and blue-white Tron yeah. were control decks. Totally, totally. Um, that tried to lock you out of the game eventually, someday, with Mindslaver Academy Ruins. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but until that point, they were playing Wraths and they were playing Oblivion Stones and doing control elements like that as well. Yeah, Tron has always felt in some ways like a control deck. The, hilar the hilarious part is that Tron is historically awful against control. Correct. Which is, yeah. So it's a control deck that's awful against other control decks, but has a better matchup against the, and also awful against combo a lot of the time. Yeah. But much better against the mid-range strategies and yes. against the aggro strategies. Um, and especially when Red Green Tron first burst onto the scene, it was a little bit of a combo deck, but yeah. it had main deck pyroclasms. Right. It had a lot of those totally. main deck control elements. I would I would say that when you, you brought up the point about Jund, because this is that same time period, yeah. I think I agree that when Jund became four color just before they banned Deathrite Shaman, that's the most controlly Jund ever was. Sure. And Jund was the defining deck at that moment. So you would have to argue that four color Jund with a Johnny Vengeant, Lingering Souls, um, you'd have to argue that was that was definitely a control deck. Sure. 
I mean, I, much more so than a mid-range deck. Yeah. And and Jund will go in and out of playing things like Damnation. Yeah. Um, you know, main decking four power or uh, four mana cost creatures like Kalidus. Yeah. You know, so they'll 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 teeter on the edge of mid-range to control. I would also say though, this is the era because the next the next piece of the story, I mean, there's nothing else control-wise from this time period that we're forgetting. Yeah, there's um, it's a bit of a desert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the next era is when there's a couple bannings that happen. Yeah. First, they ban Deathrite Shaman. Um, so Deathrite goes away. And you start to get into the time period where people were experimenting with Grixis. So I remember we had Patrick Chapin on a few years back, right around the time that Grixis, Corey Burkhart was playing it, it was starting to break through. Sure. And Chapin described on that episode that he felt Grixis control worked because it was a velocity-driven uh, card advantage yes. deck, as opposed to just straight card advantage. Like, you weren't playing Sphinx's Revelation, you were getting advantage by playing things like Electrolyze. Yeah. And Electrolyze into Serum Visions. And just your sheer ability to kind of chain these things together and then play a Gurmag Angler or something was what was getting you there. Yes. So this was a different face for control. This was not his cruel control from standard with ultimatums and, and cryptic commands. In fact, cryptic commands started getting cut from those lists. Yeah. Um, because at the same time period, you know, this was between the bannings before we got to the banning of both Birthing Pod, Dig, uh, Dig Through Time, and Treasure Cruise. So this is, I, in my opinion, where Modern makes the transition from pretty powerful to extremely busted and broken. Yes. At that time, the reactive strategies, even the mid-range strategies, you know, no birthing pod to really have the board control deck, no, um, no real, uh, the, the velocity decks, obviously, before this, and that's also why Logic not as popular is because those are in the velocity decks, right. as opposed to the cruel control, you know, super late. Well, it was, and then now people are just like, wait a minute. This now card, they're just now, playing it This everywhere. card's just good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was it was so tough for control during those days because you needed it to have so many answers to so many different types of proactive strategies. There were so many different types of combo decks around at the time that it was it was a really tough time out there for control mages. Yeah, it definitely feels like you know after the banning of those three cards I mentioned, you know, birthing pod, dig through time, and treasure cruise. I think there was a sense that modern was in a safer place, but I don't think we could have expected it to kind of go in the direction that it did, which is now. It feels to me like modern's pretty defined. It doesn't short. It doesn't feel like the edges are so soft anymore. People mm. know if they're going to play something. They they absolutely know what the best version of something usually is. You sure. don't you don't have so many flavors of different strategies running around anymore. It's like very clear. Like the blue white control deck is the blue white control mm. deck, and that's the world that control wants to live in. Is sharp edges. When people are playing weird cards that they might not have answers to, that's a problem for control. So. Right. So uh, before we continue into the second phase of Modern's history, I do want to give a couple more quick shout-outs, guys. We mentioned on the live stream, but every single week, we are giving away packs. And we're not talking crappy packs. We're talking chaos packs. We opened an Arid Mesa last week. Awesome stuff. We're just giving it to you guys. So get on the live stream every single week. Uh, Patreon.com slash TheMMCast is how we are continuing to actually expand this content. We really need your guys' help. So Patreon.com slash TheMMCast. Donate a couple bucks. You'll be uh, given exclusive access to stuff early. And that is the best way to help us continue this thing, to buy new gear, to expand, to get into the extra shows that we're doing. Um, so thank you guys so much for that. And let's continue talking control. Great. Um, so then I think when you get into the next part of the show, or the next part of Modern's history... This is, to me, when control started to take hold a little bit because, it, it, like I said, the, those, those rough edges started to unify and it started to be like, 
you're not really talking about, you know, Geist Jeskai anymore. You're not talking about, you know, Jeskai Twin anymore. You're not talking about, you're literally just saying Jeskai Control is this. Yeah. It's almost a counterburn deck, but this is the Jeskai deck. Right. Right. Grixis became the slight other flavor, right? But like people were kind of like, ah, it's just not as good. So we're right. not going to mess with, you know, people kind of moved away from it. Through this era, we had uh, Eldrazi Winter. Which yeah, which threw a wrench in the works. Obviously, the uh, the Eldrazi deck was able to counteract pretty much anything that any control deck wanted to throw its way. That's probably Modern's most unfair deck ever. I would probably. I it, would think so. I mean, is there a... Michael, pr- producer, off-camera? When there's... Is there a more broken con- is there a more broken deck in Modern's history than Eldrazi? Than the Pro Tour Eldrazi deck? It's got to be the most unfair. I right? would think not. Oh, the other... Uh, the other proof that, that is in that pudding is that when uh, Star City Games ran their no bandless modern large tournament at SCG Con, yeah. uh, the most played deck in the top 8, top 16, and top 32 were Eldrazi decks. Yeah, so, well, I mean, you, I, I, just, just playing Ayabugan is not fair. Correct. Like when, they, when they added the new Eldrazi. So, I, so that, that era is like a weird blip on the radar. There's, sure. There's sort of two of them. There's that one, and then there's the Treasure Cruise Delver decks. Yeah. Um, and the Jeskai Ascendancy decks from that summer, they're, all of those are kind of in that same category of like... The Velocity, uh, uh, Treasure Cruise, like blue-red, Monastery, Swift Spear, Burn. Just kind of super unfair, yeah. just like, yeah, and, and that Pro Tour. So, but then you yeah, get... Yeah, when the Burn deck has better access to card advantage than the Control decks, that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> oh, and along the way, a few things happened. Obviously, the printing of this this beauty here. Yes, of course. That... that... Definitely shifted the balance back in favor of uh, of black as the splash color rather than white. Yeah, you know, Fatal Push is probably one of Modern's biggest um, pivot points where, where the, the format started to feel a little different. It, it defined the ability to play different strategies. But... Absolutely. And one of the big strategies that it enabled is that it used to be, going talking about Jund again, yeah. Jund was a black-green deck that played Lightning Bolt, or, it was a, or Abzan was a black-green deck that played Path to Exile. It needed the one-mana removal spell. Now you have access to a one-mana removal spell and no splash, so you could start playing Bug. When did... I wish I had it exactly in front of me because I don't distinctly remember this, but... The period of time when somebody came out with the, the straight black green deck that was playing like four main deck ghost quarters. Yeah. And it was like, oh, should we just be playing black green instead of these black green X decks? Is yep. this just better? The mana base is cleaner. You can play more basics. That felt like way more of a control deck than the yeah. three color mid range. Agreed. Decks. That was yeah. about, I want to say that was like 2014 ish. 15, maybe. 2014, 2015, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was definitely way more of a control deck. You wanted to have much more stability and also much more control over all elements of the game, uh, the Ghost Quarters, yeah. cluing you into that sort of element. So then I would say the last two years, um, we, have Modern's, we have Modern's clearest, uh, like it is clear what the format is now. And, yeah. that's, and that's really, uh, to me, that is demonstrated in examples with decks like Humans, which is like, okay, we're far enough along now in this format's existence where the sheer density yeah. of something in one category is high enough that this thing that shouldn't be that unfair feels really unfair. Right. Or something like Hollow One, where you're like, okay, all of these different strategies are now working together to create this incredibly aggressive, sort of combo-seeming deck, right? Yeah, exactly. And both of those decks, by the way, are so fast and so velocity-driven, but also so specific that even though Control shouldn't be able to keep up with two four fours on turn one or you know Champion of the Parish into Thalia's Lieutenant into Meddling Mage and right, something right, else right. going on, 
Um, the control decks are still able to work around that. And the other thing is that the def definition of control has really changed since the beginning of Magic because of so many more cards being printed. A control card is something like Snapcaster Mage playing a one-mana spell on turn three, which is almost the late game. Right. <laughs> so the, 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 the quote-unquote control decks look so much lower to the ground and so fast that we go back to the old V. Mauschewitz definition of what a four-drop needs to be, which is it needs to win the game by itself. Right, well, I mean, okay, so now we, if we're now talking sort of the modern era, uh, a couple things happened. One of them was Jeskai Control became a deck that was so much more dependent on Teferi yeah. and Jace than it used to be. We didn't have either of those cards two years ago. Correct. So Jeskai Control used to feel so much more like a counterburn deck. Now Jeskai Control feels like a control deck, and I think people started to realize, well, if I'm going to dedicate five slots to these Planeswalkers, maybe there just isn't room for this red. And this sure. red can go away, and I can just play straight blue-white control. And that's why you're seeing blue-white control win events. Right. Top eight. You're, you're seeing it, you know, losing finals of Grand Prix. It's yeah, blue-white control, sure. it's, to me, is the realest control deck modern has ever had. Now, the other interesting thing that blue-white control has sort of shifted with is Search for Azkanta, allowing it to play a Miracles-style strategy, adopting the actual Miracle Terminus, which is a thing that they've never had access to in any control decks in Modern, because the tools to abuse it have never been there. Well, remember, we have Jace as well. Jace, and, yeah, exactly. Jace and Search for Azkanta have really put the Terminus back on the map. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Like Jace, Jace the Mind Sculptor, most people will argue, is the strongest Planeswalker of all time. Sure. Some people will argue it's the strongest Magic card ever printed. Sure. Um, I've, in fact, I almost distinctly remember Chapin on that same episode I just mentioned might have even said that. I mean, he 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 made a song in which one of the lyrics is "Jace the Mind Sculptor is better than all." Yeah. So I am have, have on record several times as saying that I think there's a chance we're going to look back in a few years and Teferi is going to be the greatest Planeswalker. I was ever just going to say that Teferi is the real problem. Yeah. I think Teferi. The, the numbers on Teferi, and specifically the untapping of the two lands from the yep. plus, is a huge problem, not just in modern, but also obviously in standard. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely close, and I think that Teferi is the reason for Jace's resurgence. I watched a, this is interesting, I, I watched um, Ross Merriman do a stream like last week or something like that. He was playing uh, Blue Eye Control versus Blue Moon. And it was interesting. They were kind of one for oneing, and at one point in the game, he was like, "Yeah, you know, Blue Moon is kind of favored in this matchup. Usually, you know, they're pretty good in control matchups." They're going one for one, one for one, and then he just like resolves it to fairy. Yeah. The game just doesn't eat like. And you look back, and you're like, "Wow, this whole game changed because the one control deck resolved to fairy and actually kept it, and yeah. like that was it. That card is so good." Uh, I keep. I mean, I just keep saying it, but did you see the? Uh, you, you saw the the announcement with the new. The, uh, the the masterpiece planeswalkers, pretty sweet. Yeah, those yeah. are awesome. There's gonna be what you get a Teferi in there, right? You get a Teferi. Yeah. One of one of the seven, I think they spoiled as a Teferi, and they're holding off the eighth for just a minute. What? It's a yeah, new, a new planeswalker. We can do a quick little uh, like bit of no news here about it. So I think the deal is you get 24 packs of Gills of Ravnica. Right. You get eight of these masterpiece like cool borderless foil planeswalkers. Yep. And it's like what like Doretti Ingenious Iconoclast, yep. Agent of Bolas, Teferi, Liliana Last Hope, New Ralzeric. Yeah. Uh, four mana Elspeth. Knight Errant, a good one. Knight Errant, yeah. Um, and Teferi. Yeah, maybe I said Teferi, I'm not sure. But, uh, but uh, yeah, those are the seven. And then, and then people are saying that based on the artwork, uh, there's a Karn that, that people are suspecting. Okay. I don't think it would be liberated. If it was liberated, it would be like such a ridiculous product yeah. that the they're selling it for. It would be Scion of Versa. Which is still really good. Which is merely, though. yeah, a, a $50 card instead of a. 
hundred dollar card. Yeah. Um, I I think it's two fifty for this product. Two fifty for the product, and I think it's is it available in local games? No, I, I thought it was only, only available on. Oh, it's yeah, only available online on Hasbro.com. Right? Wow. Is that Hasbro Toy Shop. Hasbro Toy Shop, which, which is, is where you get the SDCC Planeswalkers as well. I imagine it will sell out immediately. Oh, for sure. I'm definitely going to buy this. I rarely buy the premium product like this because I, I just usually like to sort of accumulate it over time. But like, like they, it seems so sweet. Like, yeah. I don't own a, a Teferi. I don't own a Liliana of the Last Hope. I don't actually own an Asian Obolus. Right. I own a couple online, but... <laughs> it's going to be collected by all the folks who have, you know, super... Uh, uh, like pimped out EDH decks and super crazy cubes and all the people who want to have the the most rare, fanciest versions of any card, which is a lot of people um, who still have you know these these crazy cubes and, and EDH decks and stuff like that. These are the cards that they're the versions of these cards that they're going to want to collect. Right, so. right, right. Um, so yeah, Teferi, I agree. I think we're on the same page. Is is the most important card. You know, as far as the resurgence of these... Well, when, these... They, when they unbanned Jace, it didn't do anything. Well, it seemed that way for a second. It, it, and granted, maybe it is just the printing of Teferi that's pushed Jace into the forefront. Sure. But slowly but surely, he's crept into more and more top eights. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But mostly in concert with Teferi. I mean, it, it's... it's when, when the unbannings happened, people thought Bloodbraid Elf was going to be the card. And then that didn't really happen. And then Tron just killed everything for several months while people figured out what depth to put Jace in. And then, the, because for a long time, people thought Jace was the card for taking turns. Like, taking turns was the best Jace deck for three months. Yeah. Then they finally figured out the control deck. And it might be Confluence. It might be coincidence that it was Teferi yeah. helping it out. But, I, I'm, I mean, it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. So now the last major control deck that we didn't mention in the modern era is Blue Moon. And sure. it popped up originally a few years back, I think, at a top eight... I think it was a top eight at a Pro Tour, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, I think this was a Lishi Chan creation. Yeah, I think so. Um, where he took Blue Moon to the top eight. It's essentially a mono blue control deck that has Blood Moon and Lightning Bolt. Yeah, but over time, Blue Moon has become a little more balanced. Right. And it's also fit other shells in. Yeah. You've seen people mess around with combos. There's the Madcap Experiment Madcap version. Moon. Yeah. Yeah, people play. But for the most part, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's a, it's a basically mono blue control deck that's playing Blood Moon and Lightning Bolt. And it makes sense. It's a really good deck. It, it utilizes similar elements of blue-red control that Twin used to. Yes. It's got a lot of similarities. It's just playing on the fact that Modern's mana base is incredibly greedy. Yeah. So I posted last night on our Twitter, um, which is at the MMCast, by the way, um, I asked between these four decks, what do people think historically is the best um, control deck? And the options I gave were Blue-White, uh, Jeskai, Grixis, and Blue Moon, uh, Blue-Red. And it, it was that order. It was Blue-White first, Jeskai second, Grixis third, Blue Moon fourth. I don't think that's true. I'm, yeah, I'm not so sure. It's, it's tough to... So the first thing is that which version of these decks are we talking about? Are we talking about Sean McLaren, Jeskai? Or are we talking about, you know, Kevin Jones, Nahiri getting Emrakul, Jeskai? Right. I think we're talking about the, the, the first. Right. So it, it's just, uh, it, it's sort of... Giving people only four options, it's tough to know exactly what people think. But I, I definitely think that the blue-white, strictly blue-white decks, when they are able to be two-color are historically stronger. Yep. Um, now, the last deck that we failed to mention, um, and you mentioned it earlier, but it's somewhere, I'm trying to remember exactly when this happened. I think this was like three and a half years ago that okay. Lantern Control first showed up. Yes. I think Lantern is, yeah, Lantern is, is kind of difficult to pigeonhole it's into really what it is. It's really more of a prison deck. It's a prison deck, yeah. yeah. It's much more in line with Dragon Stompy in Legacy or... 
man, I can't even think of others. I guess it's the closest relative would be Blue Moon. Yep. Um, which is it's it's a it is a board lock control deck, but it works on such a different axis than everything else. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so I think that pretty much wraps up the conversation as far as the history of control goes. I would argue all time that blue red is the best control in modern. I would I mean if 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 it's qualify if you're including blue moon, if you're including mad cat moon and you're including splinter twin um and maybe even giving an excuse to the occasional delver deck. Right. Um then yes, I I think there's no debate at all that that the steam vents decks are the most con- the the most successful of the control decks yeah now uh guys stay tuned obviously in the next in the, in the weeks to come here we have some really really exciting stuff coming up we obviously uh we have received our guilds around a preview card we, we yeah obviously can't talk about it nice but, uh we will be doing a preview episode on that very soon which is really exciting alex and i are, are super pumped to talk about this card um we have the final week right now of the battle bosses kickstarter yes uh, battle bosses which is the game created by kesco created by our, our fearless leader alex kessler you can see it's featured uh, all, all over here in different cool pieces of artwork. The box, the multiplayer mode, the pier. This guy, I was going to get this guy down. Yeah, exactly. Captain Boat. Captain uh, Boat is dope, by the way. Yeah, we all got to play quite a bit of this at GPLA. So yeah. uh, check that out, guys. Uh, Battle Boss's Kickstarter. It is easy to find on the Cascams website. It is the last week we're doing it, so please get involved there to, to, to help us hit that goal. Um, otherwise, Ruben, where can the folks find you if they want to follow along with your magic? Experience? Well, if you want to follow me on social media, be it Twitter, uh, Snapchat, Instagram, or on Twitch, you can go M-O-X-R-E-U-B-Y. It's a pun. Um, and uh, you can see me every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Hawaiian at the Magic Mike's show, twitch.tv slash M-A-G-I-C-M-I-C-S right there on the water bottle. Um, and that's basically a weekly news talk show that if you want to catch up with the week that was in Magic, all the controversies and all the news, uh, you can join myself, Evan Irwin, and Aaron Campbell as we discuss the week uh, over the 75 minutes or so of the show. Um, and, uh, and we also come out with top 10s once a week. This next week uh, is pretty soon coming out. is going to be top 10 dragons. And the next week we're doing top 10 land destruction spells. Of all oh, time. that's one I'd, um, I'd love to guess. I sure. love me doing a land. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We could probably do guests on the top 10s. We've, we've only ever, we've never done a guest on the top 10s. Yeah. And we've only ever had one guest for a special episode, yeah. which was Helene Bergeau. Oh. Um, and we've never had a guest on the live shows. It's always been a thing with our show that we just haven't done guests. But for the top 10s, it might make Makes sense. I, I, what do you have a you probably you can't reveal your favorite land structure spell here, right? Because it's get kind of down the show. What is my fave? Well, the favorite the top greatest. ten list is different than favorite. Of course, favorite right? and greatest is always a different conversation. Um, I have a good I have a good story about a guy who traded a away a binder of five hundred stone rains for a Sarah avatar. When I first started playing, were they uh, all beta stone rains? No, they were all just like it was just like if you get together a binder of 500 of any version of this card I'll yeah. give you a Seraph avatar which I thought was kind of <laughs> when I was like 13 yeah um, so Stone Rain's high on the list what's another fun my, land destruction my spell? favorite's gotta be I think my favorite's gotta be Boombust Boombust is pretty great I've always I've always loved Boombust because of the the uh, turn 3 sack my fetch land uh, move but I also love the fact that with certain cards like Flag Sons of Shokare or Dark Spell Citadel yep. you can do such fun stuff um, I've always loved the the old, and then I mean, sinkhole is pretty hard to. Sinkhole's tough to beat. Um, Are you guys including like strip mine and? 
that was a question. I didn't know if we were only doing spells because if it's if it's not spells, then my top four are all going to be like Wasteland, Strip Mine, Tectonic Edge, yeah. Dust Bowl. Like, <laughs> sure, right. But I always, uh, I mean, there are some really funny corner case ones like Thermokarst. Oh yeah, and Wave of Reckoning. And you're also forgetting, um, yeah, for Thermokarst Wave of Reckoning. There's there's the uh, the green one, uh, Ice Storm. Ice Storm, yeah. yeah. My favorite is probably Wildfire. Yeah, Wildfire's great. Uh, that was one of the first decks I ever played. I played a Wildfire Covetous Dragon deck. And if you get really interesting and, and, and wild with your definitions, you can go with like Plow Under. Sure. So, guys, that is a quick uh, preview of the conversation that he's going to have on his show. You should yeah, go check you go. it out. Magic Mike's. Um, but as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We will be back same time, same place next week. One more time, guys, please, if you're watching this, subscribe to the YouTube channel, the MMCast. Uh, it's, we're doing huge expansions right now and doing a ton of stuff. If you want to find my Twitch, I like will stream for the first time this weekend. I introduced it last week and I have like a bunch of people following it now and I've nice. never streamed anything. That's awesome. So uh, this weekend I'll probably stream my first one and it might be that stupid deck I was talking about a second ago with Greater Gargadon. Love somebody, it. oh, by the way, somebody asked. There are far more Greater Gargadon references on the show than Grand Architect in the last year. Has it officially been replaced as my favorite card? I just have a really hard time finding any way to use Architect well anymore that hasn't been done in Modern, so I got tired of it. I still love Architect. It's probably still my favorite card. Gargadon may just be that card at this point for me. Sure. I'm just a huge fan. Um, but go check it out. Uh, it is uh, Ben Bateman Streaming is what you will find my Twitch handle as, so go find that channel if you want. Uh, thank you so much, Ruben, for coming by and hanging out. Thank you. I look forward to, to coming back whenever any of you guys are, are too busy, and I'll, I'll try to fill in as a... Uh... You know, I'm not quite as handsome or quite as talented, but you know what? When you, when you need a backup, I'm a good solid backup. Flattery will get you everywhere, sir. All right, guys, thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Take care. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the mmcast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.